Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with young songwriters and musicians about the creative process and songs and playing them and singing them. My name remains Mike. Our guests for this episode are Danny Stone and Nick Stone, two of the three members of the Nashville band South for Winter. Together with third member, cellist Alex Straddle, South for Winter just released their first full-length album, Luxumbra. It is an amazing record. Danny and Nick were born and raised across the world from each other, Danny in Colorado and Nick in New Zealand. They met in 2014 as volunteers building greenhouses in South America. They eventually settled in Nashville, are now married, and there they met and added Alex to their band. Danny also has a vocation as an ICU nurse and has spent a good part of the last eight months working in COVID ICU units. Quite a year, certainly, for her. Luxumbra is, as mentioned, an amazing record. It really has the sound of a complete work. It takes us on a wonderful journey through the light and shadow its name suggests. It is surprising in the best possible use of that term. As Nick mentions in our chat, since they released this album independently, they are able to make the record they wanted to without concern for what a label or some other influencers might have thought. This artistic freedom really makes its presence felt. There are lovely folk-based songs, heavy metal flourishes, instrumental pieces, murder songs, much more. I heartily recommend giving this record complete listens. I really look forward to seeing South for Winter perform live, particularly after talking with Nick and Danny about how they approach their live performances. But in the meantime, let's get to it. Here is our Tell You What discussion with Danny and Nick from South for Winter. Nick, Danny, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. I tell you what, the pleasure's all mine. <laughs> you are, if I'm, my calculations are correct, at your home in Nashville, Tennessee, is that right? Yes, they are correct. Safely quarantining? Just in a bubble right now. Yes, which is our studio. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So when this episode is aired, which will be in the future, your album will be out in the world. Um, but as we talk now, you are a few days away from its release, right? Mm-hmm. That's and, correct. A, an exciting time and a long time coming for you, right? 
Oh, yeah. A couple about years. Two years. We've been a band for three years, and this album has been in the works for about two of those years. So, yes. It's but been you, a long you time. could arguably, you know, go back even further to like the first song Danny and I wrote together was when, like 2014, I think it was. And well, that, that track is on the album, uh, Fallen Seeds. And even a lot of like the guitar riffs was things that I like the instrumental Into the Eye was something that I have on my very first EP at 20. So there's a lot of. Uh, bringing together ideas and just sort of, you know, like, for example, that was a guitar instrumental that um, you add cello to and you perform that out for a couple of years, it's going to really change and evolve. So that's exactly what happened. And, and it just, it was kind of about, does it does it have a place on the album? Does it fit? And is, uh, I mean, what fits? We got away with saying Lux Umbra because, you know, that way we can have the uh, the dark and the light. And, and, and there is really, the continuity is in... Is in how different it is and how diverse it is from one end to the other. Um, right. But yes, we are excited. Yes. Sorry, I, I've got a different <laughs> you're getting a little, You're getting a little ahead of us, Nick. I am, get sorry, Mike. Stuff. We're going to go back in time, way back yeah. in time. First. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick, you were born in New Zealand, Danny, Colorado. Yes. I have my geography correct. When you so, said go way back in time, I didn't expect to go back to birth. But it's, Yes, if you remember your birth, we'd like to hear about that. But, <laughs> We will settle. We'll settle for this. Can each of you maybe talk about the music you heard in and around your homes or communities growing up, and maybe if some of that has made its way into into what you're the music you're making now. Oh wow! Well, um, my mom pretty much only listens to '80s rock up to '90s pop, so that was a lot of my youth. And uh, then my father actually he's a doctor, but he plays several instruments and he plays the violin and um, I started playing the violin when I was probably about 10 years old and that's when I started hearing more bluegrass and classic rock and all of that that kind of shifted my perspective so it's definitely mine is definitely an eclectic range of rock and bluegrass and pop right. which has definitely formed a bit of our music how, about you, how long did you stick with the violin only two years, and I really wish I'd stuck with it longer because I distinctly remember when I was, I think I was about to start as a freshman in high school, and I told my violin teacher that I was going to be quitting violin so that I could play volleyball and other sports, and she said, don't quit the violin, just go more part-time. The, 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 the day you quit the violin, you're never going to go back to it. And I kept telling her, no, I'm going to come back, I'm going to keep playing it, and uh, obviously didn't happen so I did try to pick it up again I still have my violin here I tried to pick it up again two years ago and realized that all of my skills my my ear for violin was just gone so I regret not playing it more so how did you find your way back to playing music again I actually kept playing music throughout my life so um, I started playing the guitar more when I was okay. in high school just picked that up and then I actually went into kind of pop folk singer-songwriter um, from, I think, around age 16 through age 21. And that's when I met Nick. I met Nick when I was age 20. And uh, obviously, he had a big influence on my musical tastes. He showed right. me current folk music like Fleet, Fleet Foxes and Ben Howard and artists like that, which took our music. Yeah, like using the folk instrumentation, but it's certainly modernized it in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah. How about you, Nick? Any time uh, we can start any time before or after your birth. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> when I, you before. know, before I had a lot of classical music 
played to me. I, I definitely would have. Uh, my, my family are all sort of classical musicians. Um, grandma's perfect pitch. She was a piano teacher. So it literally all 13 grandchildren had their time learning piano from her. Um, wow. My uncle's got an order of merit for his contribution for music in New Zealand as an orchestral composer. And he's done a lot of inspiring work. So growing up, it was always going to classical performances and hearing music that he's written, um, performed by the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. And and then, um, you know, obviously, departure from that. Like, I started off in the classical realm as a soprano singer, and as you get older, you start developing your taste of music with the friends around you, and that was definitely the 80s rock and roll and all of that. Uh, Guns and Roses were huge for me as a kid. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I there's so many influential bands, and that's where I think, like, listening to this album you'll hear just how diverse it can be from neoclassical influences to jazz to even like an Alice Cooper or a Black Sabbath you know so right. it's kind of fun dancing across all the genres uh, like this album has done but yeah for me growing up I, I, my mum was a preschool music teacher so it was always like you know pick up a pot and pan make some uh, percussion and she, you know you learn a bit of um, recorder and start there with the basics and yeah, it wasn't probably... I played a lot of bass guitar. It wasn't really till 15 or 16 I sort of played a little bit more acoustic. And and um, then, you know, in my 20s, got more into lead guitar, electric stuff. And then moving out to Nashville, Danny was like, get off the electric guitar, let's do some acoustic stuff and, uh, and get into folk. And, and then being inspired by all the amazing pickers out in this part of the world... Uh, really really has influenced my guitar style a lot more these days just trying to like develop as a finger style guitarist as well so when did you first start composing or writing your own music i was i think 11 or 12 so um i started out writing a lot when i was younger i was kind of an emo young child so writing a lot of poetry and okay. kind of reached this age where I realized that I could put my love of music. Of course, my whole family is musical, so I was always in choir and all of that. So putting that love with my love of writing poetry. So I had this moment where I was like, oh, if I repeat these, that becomes a chorus. And that was definitely age 11 or 12. How about you? Okay. Know? Yeah, probably about the same age, to be honest. I think the, um, yeah, like me and one of my best mates back home, I still remember the day that we're, we were probably 13 when we both sat down and both wrote different songs and you know that's like the one of the earliest memories I have of writing trying to write a song but I I definitely there were just so many terrible ones and that's the point I can't (laughs) you know but but it was something about it like a Jack Johnson was like one of the early kind of songwriters that I was like oh that's awesome like I I want to write music like that so yeah probably probably starting high school was when I um, really started trying to write a lot more actively um, prior to that it was a lot more classical um, singing yeah okay so your voice was your first instrument yeah yeah definitely yeah. I was put in a choir at four or five years of age wow. <laughs> piano piano was my first instrument okay yeah and then recorder probably <laughs> uh, so can you talk a bit about your collaborative process you two are a team in life as well as mm. in your art right most of the time yeah <laughs> team team it's a broad word um, yes. no, no, no. um so are you are you working on the songs together from the start do you work on ideas separately bring them to each other is there kind of a 
standard process that you can talk about? Or We've definitely yeah. tried many processes. Yeah, we've, we do a lot of both, but I would say all of the songs are a very collaborative process. Mm. Um, there are some songs where I might have a melody idea and bring it to Nick, and he crafts a guitar part that matches it. Um, or Nick shows me a guitar part from his past. For example, Stone is the last track on the album. We released that as a single about a month or two ago. And so that was an old guitar part that he just started playing, and I always thought it was beautiful. So I said, don't sing what you used to sing on it. Let me just try to craft something different over top of it. I've done that for a few songs. Okay. It's, it's um, definitely working both ways. I would say that I, I feel like we split roles really well now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, to begin with, I, I thought that I could have an ability with lyrics, and uh, I think, you know, the three lines that have probably stayed on the album, you know, uh, they were pretty good. <laughs> uh, but for the yeah, for the most part, I definitely preferred doing writing music. And Alex is is phenomenal as a cellist to work with, right. uh, and not just a cellist. Like he, he is a multi instrumentalist for sure, phenomenal bass player and guitarist. So it's really cool because I don't have any like real theoretical understanding. Um, that's where I got into recording a lot more. So we've got a really nice home studio. Um, and that's where I do a lot of my composing. Is uh, so I usually write out the structures of the song. Danny will rewrite the lyrics a hundred times or something, mm-hmm. and then Alex and I will bounce off each other to create the rest of the soundscape for the music. Yeah, it's it's really fun to to hear how the songs evolve. Like that's one of the, probably the best thing is when you start mm-hmm. with like you know considering it like a, a painting. To us, the songwriting part of of coming up with the melodies and the acoustic guitar part or whatever is is more or less just doing the outlines of a painting and then right. getting into the studio is where you really get to put all the color in it. Yeah, that's that's definitely the most fun part of the process is Nick and I might create kind of the bones of the song mm-hmm. and then it passes along to every person that I would say is pretty heavy part of the band now, which oh, initially was just us two, but of course Alex is one of the most important parts of the band um, as well, and so it goes to him and he creates these parts around it and then it goes to the drummer he creates these parts and it kind of evolves with every person where I feel like right. each Absolutely. person has an integral Yeah, it's part a true it. collaborative effort, this mm-hmm. album. It really Let's is. Let's talk about Alex for a second. The, mm-hmm. the cello is really uh, such a defining part of the sound on this mm. record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But when you f- two first got together and started writing songs, there was not a cello mm. in the yeah. room. So, how does having that sound, has it changed your creative approach from the start? Are you thinking now about the way? the cello lines are going to be entering into the structures of the songs? I guess, yeah, that's a really interesting question because I, I never start writing a song thinking about how to space it out so that the cello will fill it in, but I just mm-hmm. have so much confidence in Alex and what mm-hmm. he creates that I know that whatever song we create, as long as it's within the realm of what we've already created, you know, whether it's folk or rock or yeah. kind of more bluegrass, that he will create something that fits it and that matches it. Right. I mean, the collaborative process is based on uh, a certain level of trust, right? So it sounds yeah, like you guys all... Yeah, I was about to say that. Very, yeah, very we, based on trust. Pretty much anyone that we bring into the group, we, we say, do what you think should be done, and we'll, we'll tell, tell you... We'll tell you if it sounds wrong. <laughs> we'll tell you if we don't <laughs> like it, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is great to give people the cre- creative control over their parts a lot more. Uh, but it's very minimalistic, honestly. It might sound quite big uh, in terms of sound, but, but it... it it's actually quite minimalistic production in, in the sense that we record it, we tracked everything live together. So there's only really four musicians, you know, or five right. musicians. 
and I've had some people be like, but how could you play that live? And I was like, well, it's, it's actually just creative mic placement more than anything. Hmm. <laughs> you know, Bryce did an amazing job tracking it. So like on Black Widow, I'm playing an acoustic guitar resonator, uh, which is then run out of that into two different amps run stereo. And uh, probably each amp had three or four mics on it, as well as having four mics on the resonator acoustically as well. So you're able to get a very big sound out of one performance. That's great. Let's get mm. back to the lyrics for a second. Uh, Nick, you, you mentioned that, that Danny spends a lot of time on the that's lyrics. That's his department for sure. Yep. That's, that was my impression too. They really gave the impression they're really carefully put together. And you mentioned, Danny, that you wrote poetry. How do you see the relationship? You talked about this a little bit, but can you expand a little bit about how you see the relationship between poetry and lyric writing? That's a good question too. Um, I definitely think that's been something that has evolved over time with our music where when I first started writing songs I mean they were very angsty very literal songs especially in high school and um, it's because of what I was listening to at the time was you know Avril Lavigne and artists like that that do talk very literally and when I first moved to Nashville and was going to school at Belmont for nursing meeting a lot of songwriters there you meet a lot of country artists and a lot of people who are in the industry and all of them say write your songs literally as people know what you're saying but um I just didn't find much joy in that I didn't feel like I got to really dive into creative writing and not only create stories but create something that people have to look at a few times before they understand it and and a lot of times I've been kind of you know received critiques from songwriters in the industry saying write more literally but I prefer to write something that looks like poetry when you read it on a page and then when you listen to it, you get more of the emotion and more of the energy. So that's definitely been something that's changed over time. I realized right. that artists like Fleet Foxes, I've mentioned them already, but when I looked at their lyrics, I saw poetry, and I realized yeah. that that's what I wanted to do. Do you find that the process becomes more interactive in the sense that the music inf informs the lyrics in some way as you're going through the process? Yes, very much so. And... I also find, I think I like this, that it that it gets a lot more difficult, is trying to find something that not only feels natural and still follows the storyline, but also is a different way to express it. Um, so a lot of the times, especially when Nick gives me a guitar part first, is I'll start basically creating sounds while I'm singing a melody idea, and then I go back and try to find if any of those sounds form words that I can create into a storyline. Right, that's interesting. Now, Nick, you didn't give yourself very much credit for the lyrics on this album, but your guitar parts, to me, some of them ha seem to have like a lyrical quality to them. They're kind of saying something. Do you do you think of that as your way of expressing your ideas musically with some of your guitar work? Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you you, you learn an instrument so that you can speak what you're hearing in your head. Uh, at least that's that's my approach. Um, <laughs> and so it, it it's always been my voice is my guitar and coming out here it's really helped push me because you surround yourself by some of the greatest guitarists in the world and as a friend or a friend of a friend this guy John Knowles that Danny met once he said I'd rather be the worst of the best and we're like well you wrote you co-wrote with Chet Atkins so you're really not the worst of the best <laughs> you know like but but that's kind of it it's it's lyrics to me I appreciate great poetry I just don't have like I can I can come up with a concept but I don't like my execution 
of of those words and so it's always felt to me like Danny and I have that yin yang relationship as songwriters yeah. and and what I was actually going to mention before I went on a massive tangent as I like to do uh, was <laughs> was just how getting Alex involved to me it went from two songwriters trying to write and co-write music together in Nashville to then being a band and mm-hmm. having having it be a band really changed everything and and as you say like adding in cello uh, really does it did sh- reshape a lot of how I played the guitar um, because I, I previously never did a lot of finger picking style but that neoclassical sort of style just matches what cello brings uh, the timbre and, and feel so yeah it definitely influenced a lot and, and also I try to play a lot of harmony um, in my guitar parts too right. so that's just another another skill to try to uh, make the sound sound seem bigger and like that's where I, I'm not a jazz guitarist but I love contemporary jazz chords you know because they do bring out the harmony really nicely right. so yeah I'd say that's that's definitely my voice and it's been it's been fun learning how to actually use my, my other voice uh, to you know sing with with Danny to work as a in harmony with that so it, it has reshaped like you know there's a lot of uh, falsetto there's like I, I really am still working out exactly what my voice is how I want it to sound, you know, because in parts of the album it's it's almost operatic, and then other parts it's very um, ethereal and um, yeah, yeah. So I'm still, I think we're still discovering what we want our sound to be, but this is uh, this is definitely the 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 first foot forward for South for Winter, I think, with this album. Let's change gears here for a second. I, I'm sure you're really looking forward to being able to get out and perform live behind these new songs very frustrating obviously mm-hmm. that you can't but let's talk about in a non-quarantine world mm. pre-quarantine or in the hopefully near future mm-hmm. what do you all think is important to a good live performance what is it that you're trying to create with your live shows i think um it is a fun question mm. i've got a lot of good <laughs> questions um i think the journey is pretty important which is something we also tried to do with the album it's that I find when I'm watching a live performance and a band has a really great song, but then all the other songs sound a lot like it, I start to lose interest. So right. trying to you know, bring the energy up and then dive it back down and then bring it back up again and keep people kind of moving back and forth, kind of like the waves, I feel like that's a good goal for a live performance. Mm. And then, of course, us having fun with it, when the artist is having fun, the audience has more fun, and yes. the stage banter between... The audience and the artist is, I think, so crucial um, because that's the difference between, you know, just performing at someone and then performing for someone is actually And that's, that's also the, the type of venue you're playing at as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you're playing a listening room, then it's such a great environment to engage with the audience and have that rapport. Whereas if you're playing like the Ryman, like watching Fleet Foxes, they didn't really speak at all in their performance and it was flawless still. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's a, that's a yeah great I think there's different kinds of performances. I, I definitely think <clears throat> that when we're playing live, we have a lot more fun when we're engaging with the audience, and that's something that we've had people come up to us and say that is why they want to come to shows, is because they want to feel like we're hanging out with them and talking with them while we're right. playing. A cousin or my, uh, one of my cousins asked me, uh, do, you, do you perform for yourself or do you perform for the audience? And I, I thought that was such a great question. Yeah. And at the, at the time, my response would probably still be the same as today, where it's like, 
that depends on how well I know the song. Um, <laughs> ideally, huh. you, you if like by the end of tour, we're, we're like we're tour ready, we're tour rehearsed, and so you get to the end of tour and you're like, well, I don't need to think about what effect pedals I want to use or how I'm going to make that transition, tuning from this song to that song, or it just becomes natural and it flows, as Danny is saying, like waves. So, yeah. And we we incorporated uh, in our last tour. Um, we really ch- ch- tried to alter our live sound so that it could match this this album without needing the full rhythm section. So, you know, adding things like a sub pedal for the cello so that it can cover an even deeper frequency and to then even adding, like, uh, the Ear Trumpet Lab microphone so we can do a combination of the Bluegrass-style one-mic approach and then combining that with more, like, indie style of pedals which is kind of a fun thing because we, we often refer to our sound as being like a folk forward indie rock. Folk forward indie rock. <laughs> yeah, because it is. It's folk instrumentation, but then we'll track on a bunch of effects and we'll, we'll have a bit of fun with it. But Yeah. Yeah. So did I see you have a newly refurbished van waiting for you to take oh, you on the Oh, we are doing a bit of work. We yep, still yep, you have that. a lot of uh, work to do on it, but that was definitely <laughs> one of our risky quarantine gambles we did a few of those um and one of our quarantine gambles was to buy our first ever new vehicle from a dealer which is this van which is empty it's a big work van we'd, we'd we had the uh, the old van blow two transmissions so it yeah. was you know it was our last tour the old van was getting pretty risky to make it to gigs and yeah, so yeah. we kept saying someday we'll buy a, ni- a nice new van and we'll you know build out the inside and turn it into the perfect band vehicle for mm. on tour and then when quarantine hit we were just like you know what this is the time let's start yeah. building it so we still have all of it to do basically yeah like we've <laughs> almost we've almost finished the insulation we've cut all the major holes which is always the really daunting part when we you put bought, stuff in them too. We bought a brand new vehicle and you're like hey i'm just gonna just cut a hole and it's five feet long <laughs> and hope that it fits this window you know yeah uh, if it doesn't i'll need to find a bigger window and cut a bigger hole so you know it's uh it really was a lot of fun doing that um the holes are all filled yeah, like I, they're all filled. Yes. I, I, yeah, exactly. And and no water getting in. So I think so far YouTube has helped us learn how to build a van pretty well. Yes. And uh, moving forward, it will be like the idea is when we can can hit the road, we'll have a reliable vehicle. We'll have basically a hotel on wheels. So yeah. you know, uh, we'll probably still utilize many of the Planet Fitnesses around the country and friends' houses for showers because I didn't really want to add that much plumbing into the van. But, so you'll be you can sleep in this vehicle. Yeah, so yes. we're going to be able to it'll be able to sleep four people very comfortably. It'll have um, a kitchen. It'll it'll be a real deal thing. So it'll have yeah. basically a large queen-sized bed that Nick and I will have. The, it'll have a big fold-out full bed. The for Dodge Alex. Ram Promasters are such a cool design. We're like they're about 6 feet wide and behind the driver's cab it's about 12 feet to the back of the vehicle. Oh, so wow. so and then yeah, even inside standing up is six foot three, so it's got a lot of clearance. Yeah, so this is something really, I mean, aside from just being able to get out on the road finally, you have this great vehicle that doubly mm. exactly. doubles yeah. your kind excitement. Of and we're even vehicle. saying, like, worst case, if if COVID is continuing for a longer period of time, we might just do a national park tour if possible, and, uh, and we'll set up a PA system inside the van and put a stage on the roof. 
Yes. Uh, so we're socially distanced. Always six feet away. The van, the van, the van is like seven feet tall. It's so eight, we'll, actually eight point three. Eight point three. Uh, we will always be six feet away when we're on top of it. Well, you're welcome to come stand on the van outside my house. Oh, and do the, a show. stand yeah, on play, the van. Standing, stand on the van. It sounds like a great. The van stand. All right. So let's talk about the album Lux Umbra. Yes. Lux Umbra, light and shadow. Right. You got mm-hmm. it. All right, so on this album, there are love songs, murder ballads, right? The arrangements kind of reflect this dichotomy also, light and airy at times, thick and deep other times, sometimes within the same song, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how your creative process finds its way to creating these almost conflicting works? Are they part of the same thing, just expressing itself differently, or is it more like, okay, today we have to sit down and write this nice-sounding song. I think, for me personally, um, it's kind of always been a dichotomy of loving to write light, happy songs and then also loving to write these dark songs. I think part of it is that, um, I guess it's part of my personality type, INFP, which is someone who gravitates towards things that are light and you know have good morals and all of that, but also has a real attraction to the dark side. Um, mm-hmm. That's literally my personality description, and it kind of freaked me out when I read that. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my dad always said when I was growing up, and he was showing me bluegrass music and um, old rock and roll, he was like, you know, all of these are storytelling songs. And in a lot of them, the main character does die. And he said, there's always, there's never a good ending in a good story. And that always kind of stuck in my mind. And happy then, ending, you mean? Happy ending, yeah. happy ending in a good story, yes. Right. And then when I was doing songwriting classes um, in university, then I remember one of my um, classmates saying, Danny, you're either writing about butterflies or alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an alternative title for the album. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's odds. continued a little bit. I mean... I'll just it's just ideas that come by one day where one day it's a bluesy murder ballad and the next day it's a light song I mm, think right. it, the balance helps me creatively and then it's trying to find the songs that are in the middle that's harder for me mm. how about you Nick uh, what's the question again <laughs> about the dichotomy and if that comes naturally or if it's more crafted. yeah um, I think that uh, we getting nearer the end of the album it became a little more crafted because it was definitely like what song don't we have on this album that we feel will complete it uh when earlier on in the songwriting aspects it's like yeah danny and i really enjoyed the southern gothic folk um like civil wars and all of those those kind of the barden hollow and whatnot so yeah that kind of music was it even felt like a throwback to Johnny Cash style writing, you know, where like some of the choruses evolve and, and uh, just the murder ballad storytelling is such a tradition of folk music as well. So um, I think we we always try to listen to our audience as much as we can. And so we'd have people saying, maybe you need a little bit more light with all that darkness, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so we definitely were like, okay, well, let's consider this. And But working with our producer was great too because, you know, we would be able to say well do these songs feel right to you because like we've we're so eclectic in how we write like it's it's um you know like have, putting jazz bes- on an album that has kind of folk metal as well i was like is is that too weird i don't know but at the end of the day like the benefit we have is that we're, we're completely independent 
And so no one's telling us what we can and can't do. But it's always really important to just consider everyone's opinions. So, you know, our producer's opinion, our manager's opinion, the opinion of all of our fans, like even getting them to decide what they want to hear on the acoustic album that we're doing after this. Stuff like that I think is really important today because, yeah, as much as we are writing for ourselves, we're also writing for the audience as well. So, yeah. so it is important to think about that outside of just trying to write another song. But I will say Danny is just crazy fast. Sometimes when the, it'll, I'll, I'll, I've come home from work, I'll never forget this night where I, where I get home and she goes, I wrote a song, I wrote a song, and it's about a beaver and a sparrow. And I was like, uh-huh. it's like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, what? What? What are you talking about? Why are we singing about a beaver and a sparrow? <laughs> and uh, and then that song turned out to be Twine. Um, right. And it was, but it was one of those tracks that she's like, it came to me in like 15 minutes, and and I was like, the melodies are gorgeous. That that track, I can, it already has written itself basically. And yeah. uh, so it is fun to work as a songwriting team like that. Let's let's get to the next question on my list. Let's talk about the song Twine. Oh, good. Oh, that works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about a beaver and a sparrow. (laughs) Yes, this is a great sounding song, a relationship song. It was the first song of yours that I heard when I uh, discovered your music, and it really drew me in. I love the way it builds, the arrangement builds in the end. But I recently found out that it is a song about two animals, which I didn't know on first listen. Gave the song a whole new resonance for me. So, Danny, can you talk about how this one came about? Yeah, definitely. This one, I mean, Nick was saying, I write really quickly. I think it's just sometimes the ideas hit you and the song flows out. And other times it can feel like pulling teeth where you're writing and rewriting and rewriting and it's just not coming out right. But Twine just kind of fell naturally. And there's this really great quote from a songwriter. I can't remember who the songwriter is. But she was saying that sometimes it feels like all of the songs that were written are just floating around in the air. And sometimes she'd be out in the cornfield and she'd hear the song just whistling across the plains. And she would (laughs) run back to her house and grab a pen, put the pen on paper, and try to get there before the song passed her and went on to someone else. And so if she got there quickly enough, then the song just flowed onto the paper. And I've just always loved that image so much because that's how I feel sometimes. I feel like, I mean, I'm not a very religious person, but I feel like that's the most transcendent experience that I have is when you feel like the song kind of just falls into you and you just get to be the vehicle and it just I basically just had this image of the beaver and the sparrow and this love story that just didn't work because they're two completely different beings with two completely different needs and started plucking a guitar part and hit record and started singing the lyrics and almost all of the lyrics are pretty much unchanged from um, when the song first came out. So, wow. yeah, that was a special moment. <laughs> not not common, I will say. Yeah. To my to my ears, the hook that kind of holds the song together musically is the repetition of the word kind, mm-hmm. right? I'm not your kind, kind. It's also interesting considering the two meanings of the word here. Yes. But, but so did was that part of the initial idea for the song? Was that kind of musical hook or did that develop in the production process? Yeah, that was definitely one of the first, that was definitely the first musical hook of the song. And it's interesting because I've, you know, relatively recently had some people come forward and say that's kind of um, a delicate subject to tackle in a song. And it's just something that didn't even cross my mind, which I guess is part of the problem today, is that sometimes we don't realize those connotations when putting them into mm-hmm. a song. But um, that's I, not a bad thing, I, well. it's not a bad thing, yeah. but uh, something I hadn't even thought of. 
as taking on a deeper meaning. Sometimes think, songs right. take on But a this, it's a song about kindness also. Oh, I didn't think about that. I did not no. think about that. That's yeah, why I hear it. And that's great. It's like, yeah. that's, that's true art when it doesn't matter what it means to us if it means something to you. Yes. I and, will say uh, one of the most special things about that song, like we were saying, how songs can take on different meanings for different people. And there's so many songs that kind of became part of my youth that those artists will never know how important it was to me. And we received an email probably about four months ago from a woman. And she said, thank you so much for this song. Would you mind sending me the lyrics? And she said her significant other um, had a terminal illness and he showed her the song and he knew that he didn't have much time left. And so that became their song before he passed away. And it shook me to my core because I was like, this became someone else's love story and that's just the power of music it's just crazy how it can change for someone else that's great darling i can't fight just bury it in sand oh my god my love build up this dam you'll knock it down again underneath the night skies underneath the pines i hold you my darling again we're mm-hmm. going to talk about the song 10 black crows right mm-hmm. that, was, that was a fun one yeah fun. i can imagine they're like traditional folk themes here lyrically right the hangman mm-hmm. the imagery of the crows murder yes things um the production kind of has a cinematic quality i think it's really great particularly the cello runs mm. here mm-hmm. and then halfway through the song we shift from kind of the traditional rhythms into more of a I, I'm going to call it like a swinging kind of a tune. Yeah, yeah. I think Alex it's, says it's he feels great. like he has to dance the Carlton to it. Yes. So can you talk about this song, <laughs> the Carlton? Right. I'm picturing that now. That's I great. <laughs> um, so can you talk about this one, maybe in the context of of how you see your place in the lineage of traditional folk music? Right. You're drawing on traditional themes, but you're bringing kind of these complex and newer arrangements to the music you're producing. It's, yeah, it's, I like that. I, I didn't really think of it. That song is crossing the barriers as much as it has. But you're right. Like it's, it is a very traditional folk song in its lyrical approach, and then it, in its musical execution, it does take shape in many ways. Um, so, like as I mentioned earlier, I, I I get bored very quickly, and this was the first song that like had just weird time changes just for fun. And so, like, the, the initial guitar lick was something that I had from another random instrumental from ages ago. And Danny was like, she she came, she had been doing a co-write on something completely different and just had this, this chorus. 
and she's she's like yeah you know any final words what the hangman said you know 10 black crows all this kind of thing and i was like that's really visual and really dark wow i like that a lot <laughs> as yeah. visceral and and so i was immediately then she goes yeah maybe drop into like a blues hook there and i was like cool so th- this was another one of those twine moments but for me on guitar where i was just like yeah i've got this blues lick it was originally in d i can just change it to e that'll work but where can it go after like because obviously structure wise we can bring that chorus back and then what happens after that and that was i don't know why but all of a sudden i was just like oh it feels like it needs to do this you know like this that kind of shake it up and speed it up and all of a sudden you've got the second tempo change and the 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 theme for when we were recording the album that our producer kept saying was bring back the chorus because <laughs> we didn't we don't like finishing songs on the chorus uh historically we would basically just donut it you know like go back to the intro as as the outro where he was like no you've built this energy you need to keep the energy up and even go a little bit bigger when you on your last chorus and so yeah it's it, that's where that ended up how that ended up taking such a turn uh, and then instrumentation wise it was just yeah like we we wanted we knew we wanted to go bigger for the album because we had the ability to uh, you know one of the best recording studios in the city uh, to, to have that access where we could track uh, you know all five members at the same time in different rooms and be able to get the very best quality audio it was just like okay let's go big or go home so what else can we add and so like you know little things like a uh a cello screeching you know like doing all of that kind of devil went down to georgia stuff i was like that's cool you know and and so just having fun with it and trying to blend i guess partial indie rock kind of classic rock rhythm at times to then uh to some of the folk instrumentation because even even when we play it live we you know the only percussion is like a kick stomp and a tambourine and it still has the same kind of energy and drive Let me just say about the song, wow, this is really something. Thank you. I have to say something else here. Uh, my daughter Lucy and mm-hmm. her band Buffalo Rose, they've crossed paths with you all in the past, Oh, we I love think. them. They're so great. Um, we love them too. And uh, it was Lucy who first introduced me to your music, and she said something else when she told me about your band. She said, the lead singer dad, she looks like some normie person I went to high school with, but she is a complete <laughs> badass. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have to message her and thank her. That's the nicest thing ever. It's a, it's that a is high, high praise coming from Lucy. That's so you. nice. Dan, Danny is a badass. Yes, yeah, so Black Widow, this is a badass song, thank right? Thank you. It's like a rock opera all in one song. It finishes with, I, I have to say, like heavy metal sounding mm-hmm. flourish to it, mm-hmm. right? So can you talk about how this one came to life? Yeah, tell them about the stories. I love the story. Oh, yes. I've told the story a lot. Um, well, basically, I went, um, I was just about to go and visit one of my best friends in Charleston, South Carolina. And right before I went, I mean, as several of our other ideas on the album have, I was just hit with this lyric, um, which I didn't know how to evolve the story. And it was, oh, black widow in white lace with painted smile on her lips. And I was like, it's kind of an interesting idea. It feels kind of like an old school ghost story, but I just don't know how to write the rest of the story and keep it interesting. So then I went to Charleston, South Carolina, and my best friend and I did a ghost tour um, of the old Charleston jailhouse. And while we were there, they start telling us this story of Lavinia Fisher, who, legend has it, is the first female serial killer in the United States. So she and her husband owned this inn in Charleston in the 1800s. And there they would have travelers come through they would ask them if, basically, they'd find out if they were wealthy. And if they were wealthy, they would poison their tea, allegedly, and um, murder them and then rob them. Wow. So all these people were going missing who were going through this six-mile wayfarer's house. And when the town found out, traced it back to these two, they sentenced them to both to die by hanging. But there was a law at the time that you couldn't hang a woman who was married. So Lavinia, knowing this, went to the gallows in her wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> She must have been real sassy. <laughs> I think I would like her. Um, but they hung her husband first, so she was divorced. And this circumvented the law, and then they got ready to hang her. So as she was standing on the gallows, her last words were, basically, tell me your sins, and I will take them to the devil with me. And then she wow. actually jumped into the crowd, smiling at them, and killed herself by hanging herself. Um, very eerie story. They say that her ghost still walks the streets of Charleston and steals people's jewelry. So basically, the lyrics that I'd had the idea for of the Black Widow in white lace was her story. And so I just read the rest of her story, and all of the lyrics were based on pieces of the puzzle. So the line of left six miles from heaven is about the six-mile wayfarer's house. And between the Holy Rivers, Charleston was called the Holy City and the City of Rivers because it was between two rivers. Um, So all of it was lyrics that tried to tie into her story. That is great. What a great story. And you you had the lyric waiting for the song to present itself. It was very eerie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very crazy. That's great. And that song song definitely took a... Took it up up a whole other level. Oh, uh, once Chris got we, on the drums in the yeah. studio, because we, we, we were doing pre-production on that one for for months, uh, sending it back and forth to the producer, and and he just, you know, I, I I didn't know how to end it, like musically, we knew how the story ended, but we didn't know how to get there, right? So it took us quite a few different versions uh, to to come I'd up. I'd say you I'd say you found the ending to this song. It is really amazing. Thank you. I mean, so it e- even when we got into studio, it changed again, you know, but that's that's the reality. And so when, yeah. when Matt was like, oh, why don't you do this on drums? I was like, I didn't know you could play like that. I didn't. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea that Chris was such a beast behind a drum kit oh until gosh, we got him insane. to play that song. And I was like, there's not many players who could do that. 
and play with such articulation and and so calculated i felt like i was jamming with like a neil pert when we were recording that so (laughs) that felt that was a lot of fun to record because we did it as as a band but in three sections and then the producer pulled it together later so it was it impressively well flowing in the end when we heard the the final product Um, because yeah it is they're three different quite contrasting uh rhythm changes so it is it was that was a fun piece and then like even uh our drummer chris he he said you know there's there's one thing that is lacking on this album that i know you can do and i was like what's that he goes a blues rock lead solo <laughs> there you go <laughs> and i was like all right all right I'll, I'll pick up an electric guitar and and try my hand at it and um and yeah that that lead solo was what came out so it was I'm not a, I'm not a very quick player, so I just tried to take the influence of like what would David Gilmore do? He would he would bend it mm. with such execution, passion, and uh, and just try to be melodic with the with the lead part. So yeah. it's kind of fun when you have like the sustain of a lead guitar with the shred of a cello playing underneath it, so super fast. So yeah, it really really is a weird prog rock track, but it's certainly without a doubt my favorite track on the album, yeah. and and definitely my favorite track to play live as well because it is you need to put every ounce of energy into it to get to the end of that song it's very difficult vocation as an ICU nurse influences your writing, your creating? Does it? Do you think it finds its way in somehow? That's a very good question. Um, it's tough because sometimes I feel like the two are actually a little conflicting um, because the job itself is so exhausting that I find it really hard to be creative when I'm working a lot. So right. um, now that we are playing enough, well, we're, we were playing enough music, that I could have a little time off from it. I actually went part-time in March, but I've been picking up full-time, of course, while we are off the road. Um, But yeah, I definitely find it kind of difficult, actually, to do both sometimes. Hmm. But it definitely gives me incentive. When I'm having a really rough day in the ICU, I'll go home and send, like, 100 emails to all of these different sites and just be like, you know what, if I work a little harder at music today, maybe we can do more music. <laughs> I can do less of it. Songwriting has also <laughs> always been a very cathartic thing for you as well. And, I mean, I can't imagine being a nurse and dealing with what you have been dealing with, especially this year. I can't right. imagine that you're immediately sleeping well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it probably helps being able to, to write. 
It It's interesting, though, because I have never been very good at writing songs about myself. And that's why I tend to write more story songs. I find it hard to put my own emotions into writing. Um, plus, I feel like sometimes, you know, when we're writing about ourselves, you can get feel a little limited with songwriting. So I find more creativity and expression with writing stories. But, right. yeah, maybe, I'm sure that nursing does play into it in some part. I think that the ICU nursing is probably also a good example of, like, my two sides of the personality, where I'm definitely attracted to, like, the adrenaline, crazy, dark side, but then right. also the other side as well, the light side. Well, the world is very grateful for both of your vocations. They oh, are both doing the world some good, so thanks. Thank you so much. Um, let's talk about one more song, All We Have. So, hanging in our home at Tell You What headquarters, we have a piece of art that was created by my wife, Susan, who's also, by the way, a spiritual advisor to the podcast. Um, and it contains the Latin phrase, which I'm now going to butcher, Omnia qui cupio am habio. That was horrible. But it translated <laughs> means everything I want, I already have. Right? Yes. So mm. your lyric here, all we have is what we need. I think this is a great powerful sentiment in terms of uh, a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about this song a little bit? Oh, we have. Wow. Um, well, that was, a, that was a, a... So I wrote the guitar part probably at about 21, and I wrote the song three times uh, with different people, <laughs> and it wasn't until I was doing some work in, um, in Southeast Asia. I, I used to work for a, a conservation and community development organization called Reach Out Volunteers, um, and we were doing some work out in Cambodia. I was, I was actually uh, helping install artificial um, coral pods to create a marine protected area out on uh, an island uh, in Cambodia. And uh, it was just having that realization, just sitting there, that um, the locals, on average, uh, the average kind of wage would be like $30 a month. And looking around, I was just like, you know, it made me remember that that great line from Simon and Garfunkel. I've got some real estate here in my bag, and uh, basically for about five years, that was how I was living. Um, a minimalistic lifestyle, and realizing that it's it's more about the relationships that we have with people than the material items that we own. And so uh, I knew what I wanted to write, and as I was saying, it, I like coming up with concepts, but the execution on the lyrics I was never happy with. So, of course, I took it to Danny, naturally, and I was like, you need to help me finish this song. And she was daunted. It took us a while before we kind of fully addressed it because it is, it's not a story, but it says a lot, you know? Yes. It's, a, it's a huge message, but how do you say that message without it being potentially cheesy or, you know, including a sense of duality as well? And So, yeah, that, that song is definitely also, in terms of the meaning, one of my favorite tracks. What, yeah. What's your opinion on the lyrics on that one, Danny? Yeah, I agree with you. It was definitely a big concept that you and I thought was important enough to want to write, but definitely difficult to write. Um, and what, I think one of the defining moments for writing the song is Nick and I had been dating for just a couple of months. Um, this was in 2014. And uh, so we were walking down this beach together in San Diego at sunset and just talking about our dreams and talking about our goals and just really connecting and I had this big realization of starting to see a future between us, even though we lived on different continents and had no plans to ever be in the same place. 
and it just felt like everything was clicking in place. And even though we didn't even have, again, a joint goal or um, or any real plans, it just felt like we had everything we needed right then. So all of the first verse of All We Have Is What We Need, Where the Sky Touches the Sea is about that beach in San Diego. Um, walking the line is kind of walking the line between the sea and the sky, mm. but also walking the line of our lives, of us basically being at this tipping point of where we could dive into this, into this together or we could go somewhere else. And it felt like it was right to be together. So, yeah, that was a big moment for that song. Yeah, I think it's a great one. Thank you so much. All we have is what we need Where the sky touches the sea We walk alive we walk alive Oh, we have a grain of sand Falling through these open hands Kept white The hourglass of time that latin line you were saying that your mm. wife has on the painting it's i will so i will send you the actual line so yeah. <laughs> you don't have to try and interpret it from what i said but, <laughs> please uh, do i love that yeah it means a lot to me yeah so if it's all right with you both i think we'll end the song discussion on that mm-hmm. one one of the lighter nice songs instead of one of the murdery yes. ones <laughs> <laughs> totally fair <laughs> <laughs> but i really want to thank you both for taking the time this has been a fun fun discussion Oh, right. Thank you, Mike. Thank yeah, you so much thank for, you so much for chatting with us. Thanks for your yeah. insightful questions. Mm. But we hope to see you perform in person sometime, not too far off. We've been trying, the group of us have been trying to get something together here for a while now, right? We were going to do a, a, yes. a show up at our house. We were going to do a show on the internet, and it all kept getting quarantined away from us. So mm-hmm. uh, we we're all looking forward. I, when I speak for us, I mean the musical world to seeing you get out on the road and, and get out there behind these great songs. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to it as well. Yeah, that Dodge Ram's going to be driving great on the roads. I'm very excited <laughs> no to get out there. No breakdowns. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag 2021 with no breakdowns. Excellent. All right, Nick, Danny, thanks very much. Thank you so All much. Right, Talk to you later. Bye.